0: The reading is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, and it is chapter seven, beginning at verses 36. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisees' house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood before him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman this is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven and her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's always encouraging when the preacher takes out his watch. Can't promise I know how to read it. (laughs) Um, Full disclosure, if you hear, uh, particularly those of you who are online, hear the sound of weeping and screaming, um, sadly it's not the conviction of sinners falling under the power of my preaching. It might be our dashund Frank who sat in the wings here and uh, suffers from uh, separation anxiety. So <laughs> Thank you um, for having me this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about Shameless, not the um, award-winning UK and US TV series, but how to be shameless, how to live free, of guilt and shame. Um, sticking with the idea of contemporary culture, I wonder if, uh, or I wonder which contemporary culture event that you would most like to go back to. Would it be the Beatles playing at Shea Stadium in New York? Would it be Madonna's uh, Like a Virgin tour? Would it be like uh, Matthew Passante? Would it be the U2's 1987 Joshua Tree Tour. What about, though, Matthew, if not only you were on the tour, but not only were you stage-side... Can we have the next slide? But how about if you were on the tour bus with the band? And this week we've seen the passing of legendary Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. And here's Charlie looking out of the bus in the very early days of the Rolling Stones. What if you were on the bus with the band at every date? Well, this story that we've read is followed immediately by what I think is a description of the ultimate tour bus to be on. In the very next verse it says, Jesus traveled from town to town with the 12 and also some other women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. As well as the disciples, Jesus' entourage included these women. They were all women and all of disreputable background. Does sound like the Rolling Stones tour bus, doesn't it? But anyway, put that sort of thought that aside put that thought aside. Jesus' entourage is all women of disreputable background. But the common thing about these women is that they had all experienced and overcome shame the shame of sin, the shame of exclusion, the shame of being demonised, the shame of illness. They've been gloriously set free from guilt, regret, and shame. They were shameless. And they were the people who were Jesus' closest companions. They were the women who were at the cross when the disciples had fled. They were at the resurrection. They were at the tomb. By contrast, right before our passage, There's a long episode that decries the Pharisees. And the fact that they had been keen to preserve their reputation and had rejected God's purposes for themselves, it says in verse 30. And so between these two contrasting episodes of the the Pharisees on the one hand and these women on the two of us, if you like, in Jesus' entourage, there is this story. It's the story of one of these women at the home of one of the Pharisees. And I think Luke is saying, hey, listen up. How do you go from being someone who's worried about their reputation to being somebody who's actually in one of Jesus' closest companions? So let's take a look at what it is and what it takes to become one of these shameless women. If we can have uh, the next slide, please. Look, we've heard stories like this before in the Gospels. There's a story just like this in Luke 5. Someone comes to Jesus with a condition. They make a very dramatic gesture. In Luke 5, a man, a cripple, is lowered through the roof. Here, the lady wets Jesus' feet with her tears and lets down her hair. And it's very dramatic. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. And yet, in between all of this, Jesus tells this parable, this little parable about two debtors, which shows that this woman already knows that her sins are forgiven. And she's really grateful. So, what, so what's that all about? Hey, well, let's move on. Blasphemy, people say. That bit's the same. You see that in many of the stories. And then Jesus said, so that you may know that I can forgive sins, I say to this man, in the case of the cripple, get up, you are healed. Or in the case of this woman, your faith has saved you. Now, what does that mean? It's kind of a non sequitur in this whole thing. Now, we get the point, if you're a cripple in the first century, how on earth uh, are you going to get through life your life is blighted by your condition you are uh, reliant on other people there's no social services to look after you. But likewise with this woman this woman was called a sinful woman and her life entire life would have been blighted by that. In first century Judaism to call somebody a sinful woman wasn't just a matter of rumor or opinion. It was a legal designation handed down to you by a priest. In that honor and shame culture, this woman was literally barred, vilified, and lost. So it was okay in this instance for, to to us in our 21st century mind, for this very rude Simon to say this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. And note, he doesn't say that she has sinned or that she is guilty of sin, but she is a sinner. Uh, Professor Ed Walsh, Uh, wrote a book called Shame Interrupted and in this Professor Walsh contrasts the difference between shame and guilt and this is what he said. Guilt's message is I did something bad and it needs justification and forgiveness. Shame's message is I am bad and it needs an identity shift. So this identification of the sin with the sinner is what nailed it for this woman in first-century Palestine. Okay, today, uh, promiscuousness or even adultery, we probably say, well, surely we've overcome the shame of these things. It's not that big a deal. Surely we've overcome shame uh, from our culture. But actually, it seems like the opposite is true. And if um, go to Wikipedia, it lists five different types of shame. I'll run through just three of them. There's genuine shame associated with a genuine dishonor and disgrace. So if you're an adulterer or a convicted liar or a criminal, uh, and depending on your views, whether you might include sexual promiscuity or, or drug addiction, all of these things might lead to genuine shame. False shame is associated with things like um, being single say, sometimes that is considered to be shameful sometimes childlessness, body shaming, race, illness social class and if you're a teenager even wearing the wrong type of trainers is a, is a shame uh, and then there's a, they mention a third type of shame, toxic shame pathological shame that's the shame resulting from from, for instance, like child abuse. So what would we say is today's answer for these? Well, today the councils would say self-esteem is the answer. In the first century, though, self-esteem was an oxymoron. You couldn't... Self-esteem was, was attributed to you by your peers, by your family, or by society. There was no such thing as self-esteem. So this woman needed to be rescued and saved. She needed, as Professor Walsh puts it, an identity shift. And today, if we think about self-esteem, well, listen to this from The Telegraph um, last year. Bryony Gordon writes on the death of Caroline Flack. If we can have the next slide. Caroline Flack, the Love Island host, hanged herself after facing trial for common assault on her boyfriend. And even though her boyfriend did not support the trial, Danny Cipriani, an ex-partner, said that she died of embarrassment and shame. Literally took her life because of an online campaign against her, shaming her. And this from from Alison Skaggs in a Church of England report on online shaming. Shaming on Twitter is called cancelling, a means of obliterating the person's presence, of saying that they do not or should not exist or have a voice. What power has self-esteem against such an onslaught? Surely we need a stronger weapon than self-esteem. Okay, you say, in the first century, I understand. In that honor and shame culture, I get it. Totally get it. Um, Okay, those who don't know God's forgiveness, even today, okay, I get it but what about us Christians? Surely it's different. We are forgiven. Okay, Professor Ed Walsh again. Sin leaves both guilt and shame in its wake, and shame is what lingers even after forgiveness has been sought and granted. Guilt is, what does God think? Shame is. What do people think? And it also is, who do you think you are? If you ever find yourself saying that to to yourself, then you're dealing with shame. And this woman's actions and the parable of Jesus clearly show that she had been forgiven of past, but she was still living with her shame. Okay, what about our ongoing struggles as Christians? Hear this from John Piper. A teenager has a challenging call to mission. He feels the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but he does not obey because he's failing in dealing with lust. He feels guilty, so he feels unable to obey the call of God. Piper writes of the sadness he felt over so many people lost in the cause of Christ's mission because they were were not taught how to deal with the guilt of sexual failure. Now, note carefully what he did not say. He didn't say they were lost because of sexual failure. Piper's point's much more specific. Lost because they did not know how to deal with the shame that comes from sexual failure. So even for those of us who confess Jesus as Lord, self-esteem or saying we can do better or I'm better than that, it simply does not work. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians Worldly sorrow, or shame, brings death. But godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Or, as it says in 1 John, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. So we need not self-esteem, but divine esteem. And, okay, that's all the heavy stuff gone, by the way, hopefully. (laughs) So this is the story of how to get uh, that divine esteem. And the remedy is to get on the bus, or how do we get on the bus? Okay. Professor um, Rennie Brown of um, University of Houston says that shame needs only three things to grow. It needs Secrecy, silence, and judgment. I'm going to deal with that one first. It's the longest one you'll be pleased to hear. So judgment, again, our modern counselors would say, including Professor Brown, by the way, would simply tell us that to reject judgment altogether. It's outmoded, it's toxic. No one has the right to judge you, not society, religion, friends, family, others. You are your own judge. And the Bible sort of agrees. No one has the right to judge us, but not even we ourselves. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. But in the court of human opinion, as poor Caroline Flack found out, There's an online jury which numbers in the millions. And against such a jury, we do need a judge. We need a very powerful judge. The Bible says, there is no judge but God alone. So she, in this story, comes to the high priest, the judge, the one true judge, Jesus Christ. And here, actions speak louder than words. Luke carefully records what this woman does. She anoints his feet and goes through a number of dramatic gestures. The letting down of her hair, the bringing of a sweet-smelling offering, the mixing of the watery tears with the dirt on Jesus' feet, and even the removal of that dirt by her kissing and the imbibing, ingesting of the dirt. These were all Actions that mimicked something that had happened to her in her past. It's my belief that what we see here is that these are all of the elements of a trial that she had already gone through. You can read about this in, in Numbers 5. These are the actions that she would have gone through with the priest, which, depending upon her innocence or her guilt, would have exonerated her, or in her case, condemned her as an adulteress and here she plays out these actions before Jesus before the high priest clearly she has failed in the past but this time Jesus doesn't condemn her but nor do you notice does he say that she's either guilty or innocent in fact what he says is he pronounces is your faith saved you it's wiped away your shame go in peace As Professor Welch says, she has had an identity shift. The ultimate judge has declared her sinless, guiltless, and saved. Or a new creation. Or as, as it says in Romans, justified by faith apart from the actions prescribed by the law. It's like he says to her, I see you going through all these actions that you've been through before that have condemned you. Forget it. It's by faith that you are saved. Okay, that's the first point. We need a judge. The second point, silence. She comes to the one who understands. Professor uh, Brown adds that shame cannot grow or thrive in the context of supportive environment of empathy when we reach out to people who have earned the right to hear our story. Hebrews says of Jesus for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who being tempted every way just as we are and yet he did not sin. Literally Jesus himself was the offspring of an adulterous affair and as far as most people around him were concerned uh, that's what they thought that he was uh, the offspring of an unmarried couple. And so he knew what it was to be shamed, to be ostracized. She goes on, uh, she goes to Jesus who understands her, but also note she joins with the others, the other women like her, who understand this. The third thing is secrecy. Shame disappears in community, says Heather Nelson of Westminster Theological Seminary. The most powerful way to combat shame is to be truly known and to know others truly. As we share our shame stories or the ways that shame has threatened to silence us, shame fades away. Now, nobody speaks better about community, I think, than Australian roughneck turned New York socialite Mick Dundee. Now, I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to try. Uh, Let's try and see a video clip.
0: Oh. Um, that's why I love it, because I fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> if you'll excuse me, I'd like Mick to say hello to Senator Manley. Oh, that's a good idea, oh, I think. Oh, yeah. It's nice meeting me to give. See you later. <laughs> Seems like a presentable couple yeah. What's changed. That? Nice people. Dorothy's fine now, but she used to be really uptight. What happened? She found a wonderful shrink. Thought- psychiatrist I made that crack about the lunatic Excuse so... I didn't know she was nuts. Of course, she's not nuts. People go to a psychiatrist to talk about their problems. She just needed to unload them. You know, bring them out in the open. And she got any mates? You're right. Guess we could all use more mates. suppose you don't have any shrinks at about Creek. Nah, back there, if you got a problem, you tell Wally he tells everyone in town, brings
1: it out in the open, no more problem. Be careful who you choose to share with. (laughs) But you get the point. We need mates. We need people we can share with. And so we can deal with the problem of secrecy. And if you have a home group or something similar where you... among people you can respect and trust that's the place to deal with it. Don't just tell Wally, okay? (laughs) But seriously, if you have something that's keeping you back from serving Christ, if you're struggling um, to experience intimacy with Christ, maybe it's because of shame. And the answer is, we go to the judge in faith, we tell our friends, and we get into community. I thought I'd end with a couple of examples of those uh, who've overcome shame. A couple of shameless heroes, if you like. Both politicians, one of whom brought shame on themselves and the other who innocently suffered and overcame shame. So, first slide, thank you. Jonathan Aitken, it's been my privilege to get to know Jonathan uh, a little bit. He comes to the the Burning Man men's meetings here um, sometimes. Former cabinet minister, member of, of Her Majesty's Most Honourable Privy Council. Thereafter, it starts to go bad. As of state for defense, he was accused of violating ministerial rules and of shadowy dealings with leading Saudis. He is an proven adulterer. He was convicted and jailed of perjury and declared bankrupt. Having become interested in Christianity, however, through an alpha course, Aitken later came to faith a transformed man the man that I know today. Having said that he would not become a vicar because he wouldn't want to give dog collars a bad name, on the 30th of June, 2018, Aitken was ordained in the Church of England by the Bishop of London. Jonathan Aitken, shameless. Slightly closer to home, Elizabeth Berridge, Baroness Berridge of the Vale of Catmus, life peer, parliamentary undersecretary of state for education, Parliamentary Under Secretary of State, Minister for Women, Baroness in Waiting to Her Majesty the Queen. Sonia Slay, writing in the Evening Standard in March of this year, said, The Minister for Women today spoke about how she had to look after herself at the age of 16 following a family breakdown. In a candid interview, Elizabeth Burridge talked about her life as a teenager living in appalling housing with slugs in the fridge. She talked about having no money facing homelessness before A-levels, and how opportunities she was given at key moments made her want to help others. The 48-year-old peers said, I was out of home, just 16. I worked my way through sixth form as a Silver Service waitress. A born-again Christian, Elizabeth was appointed Executive Director of the Conservative Christian Fellowship in 2006. And Elizabeth was appointed to the House of Lords in January 2011, at which point she was the youngest serving member uh, sorry, second youngest uh, serving woman in the House of Lords. Elizabeth Berridge, shameless. St. Michael's is about to, literally next week, uh, enter an exciting new phase. And, you know, I've heard from some of you that you feel uh, sorry that some of the old ways are, are, you will know, be, be going. You know, we won't have this mixed worship so much. But my prayer is that. Uh, we'll see such a move of God here that not only will you want to go to the the morning traditional service, but you'll want to go to all the other services as well. And I would say, if shame is holding you back in some way from serving Jesus wholeheartedly, then don't hold back from seeking help. Be gloriously set free in Jesus. Thank you for listening.